I think that's also part of the reason why we have more innovation in the United States. We're so naive that we find success a lot of the times. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If you look at things, especially in entrepreneurship or in business in a rational way, and it's never been done before that way or so, you kind of have to be naive enough to still try and do it and believe that it's going to work out. I want to help all of our agencies double every single year. I want to create thousands of job opportunities for people who've been passed over over because of none of their fault. There is a funny question that we ask sometimes in interviews, which is if you would see someone stealing a coffee cup from the company, how would you react? Boom, we're live. Welcome, Chris. What's up? Yes, uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, you have a very interesting background. Um, you're an entrepreneur, you own the uh the dude uh agency how did you come up with that name it's an amazing name by the way thank you uh so <laughs> i was at my friend's beach house kind of like at a crossroads in my agency because we, we'd grown this agency we had a couple hundred clients and i was just not really feeling fulfilled with it and i started listening to a podcast of my friend russ perry who started design pickle And Design Pickle does unlimited design and development. So I said, you know what? I've got this amazing little team in Mexico. Agencies don't even know that Mexico is an option for talent. What if I started a service kind of similar to Design Pickle? Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I was trying to come up with a name. So I'm from Southern California orig originally. We say dude like every other word. And uh, so and then I had read this book like in 2009 and this is 2017 at the time i don't remember anything from this book called selling the invisible other than the fact that the guy said that americans love companies with the ooh sound like google and yahoo mm. and uber right so i'd always in the back of my mind thought you know i'd love to have a company that has that ooh sound and so then i was like okay well what can i name it And then dude just like came to me and I was literally like at my friend's beach house looking at the water mm -hmm. and that name just came to me. And then uh, it actually stood for something at the beginning. It stood for digital updates done by experts. And we've since moved away from that because people just love the name dude. So that's the <laughs> origin story of the name. That's pretty cool. How do people react to that name? They love it, man. Anytime I wear my dude hat mm -hmm. anywhere, people always come up to me like, dude, and I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. That's pretty great. Funny. I think it's great branding. I I sometimes I think I could have done a better job with Digistore 24, but it was back then I thought that it would be good to understand what the company does kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. I think in the mm -hmm. beginning in the beginning it's not bad, just like you have click funnels and you say, okay, I understand what it kind of is. But If I look at the biggest and most successful brands, yeah, most a lot of them have the U sound, like like mm -hmm. you said, Google, etc. Mm -hmm. But in general, their their brand their brand names don't make sense. So yeah. I think good branding is if it doesn't really make sense. So so people remember it better, like Apple, Google, Yahoo. Yeah, I mean, th those names don't make sense. So I think the dude thing is amazing. And it's also so familiar. You say you, you use that word like 100 times per day. Yeah, and it, and it fits well with our company culture as well. I think at the end of the day, you know, like if there's a really unique story behind it, 
and it can fuel some sort of emotional response, then that's all that matters. Like, it's always six of one, half dozen other. You know, you got a bunch of names that completely don't make sense at all, where they've just thrown together a bunch of letters. Mm-hmm. Or like, even like Zappos, like the company Zappos, they didn't mm. start out spelling it Z-A-P-P-O-S. They started out spelling it Z-A-P-O-S because that's how you, that's the abbreviation that they came up with for the Spanish word for shoes, zapatos. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then they were like, everybody's calling it Zapos. So then they added the other P. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you know, like sometimes, as long as there's a story behind it and, you know, who cares? Do whatever yeah. works. Yeah, absolutely. What does your agency actually do? So we work with marketing agencies and our new tagline is that we help them grow their agency profitability by 30% guaranteed or it's free. And we do that through a combination of outsourcing and staffing. Uh, That's the first pillar. The second one is helping them to create their SOPs and processes. The third is making sure that all of their team members, including the CEO, are trained on how to grow the agency. And the fourth is making sure they have the right business model and financial plan to actually scale the business. So everybody comes to us because they need people. It's the number one thing that marketing agencies and really tech companies in general are looking for. There's a shortage of amazing people to help you grow your agency. The salaries have gone through the roof. And so these marketing agencies that are building out websites and landing pages and they're doing SEO, you know, site speed op- optimization, you know, all anything that they would send to a designer or developer, they come to us for that. And then we show them how to actually scale the business. And we have a guarantee, obviously. If you follow the, we call it the dude way, mm-hmm. then you'll grow your profitability by 30% or more, or we give you your money back. So do you grow the profitability mainly by increasing the prices, having them increase the prices or? Actually, no. Sometimes that's the case. Um, a lot of it comes down to, well, first of all, like having that plan, like, you know, most agencies don't have a plan of how they're going to grow their business. They don't have budgets. So we show them how to create that. But a lot of it comes down to reducing costs and then, um, Mm. hitting your sales targets and staying within the budget. And we help them reduce costs through the people that we have. And we help them get more out of their people by, through the process optimization and making sure that they're operating very, very efficiently. So it's never just one thing, but most people, like the biggest initial uh, savings and increase in profitability comes from the people that we give them. I see. So you're hiring the people for them. Is that? Yeah. Okay. We have an insane hiring process that we take people through. Um, We only hire about one out of every 42 people that apply. So we take that burden of hiring and staffing off of the client's shoulders. And so we'll place people directly into their agency, designers, developers, oh, wow. project managers. Yeah. Oh, do you, do you just do that for agencies? But or, or only, for agencies. For, only for yeah, agencies. Only for agencies. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so what do you look for like when hiring people? Like what's your criteria? That's a great question. So, um, I mean, you, you have a good sized team, I'm sure. And I think yeah. one of the challenges that people are facing is finding people that have the right soft skills. So there's millions of people out there that have the right technical ability. Uh, But that doesn't necessarily make for a great team member. And every company is different. Every company has a different culture. 
Every leader has a different leadership style. And so you really want to find people that will fit in and align with the values that you have in the company. And so the number one thing that we look for when we're hiring any type of production, well, anybody really, but specifically our production labor, like designers, developers, PMs, um, those types of folks, is are they willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of the team? Are they willing to go the extra mile for the good of the clients and for our agencies and their clients? That's what we're looking for. And that's something that we have a range of tests that we put them through to essentially look at their value system and how far they're willing to go for the good of other people. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> where, it's also something that I, I look for. I find it a bit hard to hire mm-hmm. people in the U.S. sometimes because compared to like most of the people I hired are from Europe, especially Eastern mm-hmm. Europe. And if I compare those two, um, Americans can pre- are have better abilities presenting themselves. So absolutely, they would do and like uh, compared to Europeans. Europeans are very like they they don't sugarcoat a lot of things they say. Americans do, so it's it's really hard yeah. to 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 really. There are definitely know. cultural differences for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, Americans in, in kind of like as, as a part of our culture, we have a superiority complex, you mm. know, you see the, like in a sports environment, the Americans always going, USA, we're the best, we're the best, right? There's so many people that just say that the United States is the best at everything. And I still love my country. Mm. Um, I think that we're amazing in many, many things. I think for entrepreneurship, it's one of the best places that you can start a business, but there's a lot of room for improvement. And kind of that American arrogance, I'll call it, which if you're listening to this, that's what it is, guys. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) This American arrogance that we have, it it instills overconfidence in us. But at the same time, there's here's the other side of that coin is that there's more innovation typically that comes out of the United States. And I think a lot of that is helped by this belief that we can do anything. Whereas in other countries, and, and I live in Mexico right now. I live in Tijuana, Mexico. So I've been here for four years and, and I, I studied sociology in college. So I love seeing the different impacts that the culture has on the mindset of the people. So uh, when you look at other countries and they don't believe that anything that they do will impact their future, they essentially think that they're just going through life and nothing that mm-hmm. they do will ever change the outcome of their life. And then you look on the other end of the spectrum and you have Americans that are like, you can do anything. If you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything that you want. And so I think that's also part of the reason why we have more innovation in the United States is because you kind of have to be dumb Mm -hmm. and like ignore the haters and the probability that you're going to fail. You have to be so stubborn to get through all the obstacles to create something amazing. And so there's two sides of that coin. One, mm-hmm. Americans are overconfident and we're kind of like annoying. But at the same time, we're mentally a little bit, well, we're we're so naive that we find success a lot of the times. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Because, you know, in order to do great things or start great things, you first have to kind of believe in it. And yeah. if you look at like really 
at it at, at things especially in entrepreneurship or in business in a rational way and it's never been done before that way or so you kind of um, have to be naive enough to still try and do it and believe that it's going to work out and there's positive examples for like i was for example i i don't know how to code i cannot program a computer but i still found it digistore uh, 24 nevertheless and it's a big SaaS company it's a software as a service very complex uh we most of our staff is developers actually um or let's say half of it like technical people and mm -hmm. i'm not and i was like so naive starting that i, I mean if i had known <laughs> i wouldn't have started it probably because if i had known right. like the complexity and and whatnot it's like it's it's crazy so so it's a good thing to um to be naive and to believe in yourself and to just like try crazy stuff out and uh sometimes because sometimes it works out and from a european perspective anything that's new in marketing comes from the us that's also one of the reasons why i like to be in the us market with my with my platform because i want to be at that you know that uh in that active in that location in that market where innovation comes first and then dripples down to the rest of the world actually yeah 100 percent it's and you know like being in mexico being here for four years i see so much opportunity and i see you know like there's so many things that could be created here but there's just not a culture around innovation and specifically personal responsibility and oh, yeah. it, like the belief the belief that you are responsible for your future that's just not a cultural belief here in mexico and for a lot of people, it keeps them uh, it keeps them down. Um, they have a there's a lot of amazing things that that are in Mexico, um, but that's one from an entrepreneurial standpoint. I'm like, man, like, what can we do to fuel some more positivity and belief that will in turn create a lot more innovation in this in this amazing country? I'm very often in Mexico, actually, like very Where often. Where do you like usually go? Usually I'm at Rivera Maya, like, you know, okay. I'm at Can. it's like, it's so cliche, but yeah, in fact, it's Playa, Cancun, and Tulum. Tulum, yeah. Yeah, I actually yeah. want to go back to Tulum. I was there a couple of years ago. Um, you know, like the, the touristy area, like on the beach, mm. uh, I was kind of like disappointed in that. But I really, really like the cenotes. Did you, have you been to yeah. any of the cenotes that are down Oh, yeah. Those are Hell unbelievable. Yeah. You know how those were created, by the way? No. So, well, one, I don't know if this is the concrete theory or the uh, the scientific, like it's scientifically been proven 100%. But the meteor that destroyed, the, that killed off all the, the dinosaurs landed mm -hmm. right around the Gulf of Mexico. And so a lot of these cenotes were created by the the giant craters that fell off of that meteor once it hit the, hit the ground or when there were other meteors that accompanied the, the giant one. And that's why you have these huge holes and like underground uh -huh. tunnels underneath the ground there. It's crazy. It's, it's very, crazy very how, how beautiful they are. And um, but I, I really love to go there. And there is like cenotes. There's like cenotes in like in the water that are just like super light, like you're in the shallow waters and then it goes like super deep. And yeah. it's like almost black and it's amazing. And there's like uh, a cave cenotes where you, you go down and there's like a cave and there's some and water. connected and everything. Yeah. I mean, they've been 
there for 60, 65 million years. Quite a yeah, long time. I, I was actually told that I was a Mexican in some past life and I got married in a cenote, like in a past life and whatnot. It's, hey, it's possible. It's, I like that yeah. concept of past lives. I don't know what, what I was in a past life, but it's an interesting concept. Yeah, totally. Um, and so, so what, what, why did you move to Mexico in the first place? I wish that there was a fancier story, but I just, I met a girl. <laughs> <laughs> so I opened the company in Mexico in Tijuana in 2015. So basically at the time I had a marketing agency and I was um, looking for, you know, talent because I was, I couldn't, so I, I started a marketing agency in 2012. My team was in the Philippines. So from LA to Philippines time, it's about 15 or 16 hours time difference. So for the first year, for the first two years, I worked from 6 a.m. in the morning until one o'clock in the morning, every single day. Wow. Every single day. I had no money. I was broker than broke. I was coming off of a failed business. And uh, so basically I just had to figure it out. So like for the first year I was moonlighting because I was working for a digital marketing company. And then I would work on my business in the morning, work all day, go home, work on the business until the evening. And that's what I did for the first year. Didn't take a dime out of the company. So anyways, fast forward to 2015 and I'm like, man, I can't, I can't do deal with the, the time zone. And, you know, like when they're asleep and I have a challenge with a client, I need somebody right now. Cause like you, I yeah. can't code. And so I started trying to find people all over the place, including the United States. And uh, I was living in San Diego at the time. And I'm like, you know what? I bet you I could find people down in Mexico and mm -hmm. I don't really speak Spanish very well. And just figured it out, you know, went through a few people that were not good fits and uh, eventually, you know, developed this little team of around five people. And then we ended up growing that agency to over 220 clients. Um, and so 2017, I started Dude to help the other agencies get access to these people. Mm -hmm. And then in 20, was it 2019 or 20? No, it was 2018. 2018. I had an issue with an employee and she quit and she was saying, you, uh, you know, you guys aren't paying your taxes and all these other things. Hmm. And I was like, what? Like, I, I thought we were doing everything by the book. So we use a service down here to help pay with our payroll and benefits hmm. and all that stuff. So I storm into their office and I'm so angry and my account rep doesn't speak English. Mm -hmm. So I'm like yelling at him. And then nobody can help me. And so they grab somebody out of the back of the office and um, they're like, hey, you got to talk to this guy. He's like super angry and he doesn't speak Spanish. So she, so she came out and I was like, oh, my God, this girl's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I remember literally thinking like, what else are they hiding back there? Because um, I'd never gone to their office. I think I'd gone there one time. So anyways, after that, you know, I ended up creating reasons to go to the office for meetings like every week and like three months later we went out on mm -hmm. a date and we've been together ever since and then we moved in together so that's why i ended up moving yeah congratulations for that's love. amazing did didn't you like <laughs> think of bringing her to the us or do you really prefer to being in mexico this is something that most people don't know is it is very very difficult for mexicans to immigrate to the united states there's different immigration laws based on different mm -hmm. countries 
And Mexico is very, very hard. Um, you know, like a lot of people, especially those on the border, they have a visa so they can come across, but they cannot stay. They cannot mm -hmm. live in the United States. Um, so we, we got married last year in October. Uh, so eventually the plan is I'm going to get my Mexican citizenship within the next year or so. Mm -hmm. And then after that, she'll move to the U.S. and then she has to stay there for a little while so she can get her American citizenship. Mm. That's cool. I mean, I I think Mexico is great, and but I also saw what you described about, let's say, the work culture in in hotels. By the way, they did not have; they don't seem to have like a lot of people who take real responsibility for stuff. And yeah. this is this is one thing I look uh, for in uh, uh, when I recruit people. I want them to take responsibility. We call that extreme ownership. Maybe you've heard yeah, of that absolutely. concept as well. Books. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, I even went to went to one of their masters, one of their uh, events, and I learned it directly from them. Uh, because from I was Jocko? such a f yeah from Jocko. No way! I want to go. You got to tell me. So he owns a jujitsu, or well, he owns a gym, and they they do jujitsu. Um, and I know some people that have trained there. Uh, but I would love to meet that guy. Such a fascinating character. Yeah, he's a legend. He's really cool. And he's as cool as he like looks from the outside. And it's probably pretty... is scary looking or less scary looking? Scary looking. <laughs> 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 he always, <laughs> he never smiles, has that serious face. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Cool. Interesting. Um, so how, how, so how, how exactly did you start your company? So basically... If, if I understood that right, the the dude agencies you are, you're helping other companies, other agencies getting employees. Is it like you're helping them getting Mexican employees, or like from all over the place? Mainly Latin America, yeah, and specifically mm -hmm. Mexico. You know, so they come to us, and we've got uh, you know over close to 100 people, uh, and they just need team members, and so we line them up with a team member or a group of team members from our company that are already trained, already vetted. And we have a few different options, but we typically start them off with a little team and then, uh, you know, help them scale up. So it starts mm -hmm. with the team, right? So we get them team members, designers, developers, team uh, team lead, and basically start helping them build out projects. Then we get into their operations. Then we make sure everybody's trained up and finally ha make sure that they have the financial model to scale. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it is, I think, company culture. Can you uh, explain to me a little bit what what you think is the is the potentially best company culture that you can have? I mean, that's like asking somebody, you know, who's the what's the the, the nicest car that you can have. I think it really depends on the person and the owner. Mm -hmm. So I believe that the company, and specifically an agency, is a reflection of the owner. The mm -hmm. owner has unique values. The owner has unique visions for where the company wants to go or for they went, where they want to take the company. The, the owner also has a very unique leadership style and, and value system of their own. And I think that is all a reflection that all gets reflected into the company. So when you say like, what's the perfect company culture, I can only talk about it from my point of view. Yeah. My, you know, so like what I want to do is I want to help all of our agencies double every single year. I want to create thousands of job opportunities for people who've been looked or who've been passed over 
by, because of nothing, you know, nothing, none of their fault, right? So like a lot of people in Mexico, for example, people don't even think to hire designers, developers. People don't even think that they have the internet in Mexico. Mm. It's crazy. So I want to change that perception. When most people think of Mexico and a lot of parts of Latin America, like when, when you think of Mexico, what do you think of? What, what are the, the, the visions that you have in your mind? Cenotes. Cenotes, uh, right? Beautiful, beautiful beaches, beautiful women, <laughs> um, parties. You got a lot of great parties down there around Tulum. Yep. I had a lot of good times in Cancun as well. Got some friends there. Uh, um, steakhouses. Like, uh, Cancun <laughs> looks very... <laughs> It's very nice American steakhouses. And all those things are true, right? Yeah. But did you think, did you, did you say anything about technology? Did you say anything about design, development? Nothing. Opportunities for, for other companies to find talent. See, these are the things, these, these are, this is the narrative that we're trying to change as a company. This is very important to me personally, because I've always felt like an underdog um, and somebody who's not been like, you know, nobody looks to Chris and is like, oh, he's a, he knows a lot about tech. Um, and, and so like, these are the opportunities that I want to create for other people. Um, and ultimately we want to change this perception and we want everybody in the world to know that the, the best agency talent comes from these company, these countries that dude operates in. So that's part of what we're looking for looking to accomplish as a company. So what we want in terms of a company culture are people that align with this. So we look for people that are, and this is almost like a cliche now, but like go against the status quo. We want mm -hmm. people that think differently, but it's really important in Mexico specifically because thinking differently means that you take personal responsibility. Yeah. Thinking differently means that I'm not in competition with my team members. I'm in competition with myself and together we will elevate each other. I'm, thinking differently also means I'm willing to sacrifice for the good of other people and I don't need to walk at five o'clock. That's what thinking differently means. That's, those are just some of the core values that we have. Mm -hmm. Discipline is another one. Sacrifice, kindness. So another kind of cultural belief in Mexico um, that I just, it drives me crazy. Uh, it's that, and especially with men, it's that being a nice person, being a kind person is actually weakness. And you've heard mm. this before. Mm. It's mainly on TV. I don't know a lot of people or associate with people that believe that, believe this, but like the nice guys finish last kindness is weakness mantras. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm an, I try to be a nice guy all the time, but if I hear you doing, saying something like that, I'm probably going to punch you in the face. Because I don't tolerate that. <laughs> I'm nice to a point. Um, it That just brings down everybody, man. We're just like sabotaging ourselves. We're all in the same boat. Just because we're in the same boat, though, doesn't mean that you can't push yourself and that you can't mm -hmm. elevate yourself, right? It's a different kind of com uh, competition. So in my, in my company, we have like the culture is, I would, I would say, I would, so my, my headline for our culture is culture of performance. 
So mm -hmm. we want to perform. We have to perform. We're a tech company. We're in competition with uh, funny companies like ClickBank, etc. It's, mm -hmm. it's tough. So we we need to perform. So it's a culture of performance. And one of our company values is that we have to be direct and transparent. And that means that, yeah, I'm nice, but at the same time, I have to be direct and transparent and not sugarcoat mm -hmm. things. Like, for example, if right. I want something to be done differently, or if I think something did not go well, I have to be able to say it directly to the person yeah. that's supposedly responsible. So this is also Absolutely. very... very the other yeah. side of that is we have to own up when we make our own mistakes. Like yeah. I own up to the company. And I think that this is one of the things that from a leadership standpoint, a lot of people are not doing enough is when we make a mistake, we need to tell everybody in the company, I made that mistake. I take 100% responsibility for it. And here's what I'm going to do immediately to be able to rectify that. Yeah, and I think exactly. when team members see that, you got to, you kind of got to give people, at least in Mexico specifically, you have to give people permission to admit when they make a mistake. Oh, because yeah. a lot of other companies, if you made a mistake, they'll fire you instantly. So then what does that, what, what, what does that create? When people make mistakes, they try and hide their mistakes. And then that'll typically snowball into a bigger mistake that'll explode and you're probably gonna lose customers. Everybody makes mistakes, nobody's perfect, right? I make mistakes all mm. the time. What's important is that we create a culture where we can admit when we make a mistake and then we immediately work very, very hard to fix it and make sure that doesn't ever happen again. Yeah, absolutely. It's part, it's it's basically this extreme ownership thing. Mm -hmm. I think company values are very very important for the culture. Uh company values for me are guidelines for how you are supposed to do things. So they help you exactly. decide how to behave, how to solve problems, how to approach your work. Uh you have to know that it's okay to make mistakes um <laughs> as long as as long as like you don't repeat them too often um mm -hmm. and you you have to yeah you have to take res full responsibility and you have to act like it's you you own the whole thing because only mm -hmm. only that way it works and especially when you're in a remote company are you remote by the way because so you we've got about 40 50 team members here in tijuana mexico specifically and then we've got the rest of the people are scattered throughout Mexico, Latin America, a couple of people in Asia, a couple of people in the United States. Cool. And you, you wrote the book. You wrote even wrote a book about it. Uh, Never wear pants yeah. again. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're you're sit you're sitting at home like wearing shorts or. Well, I'm in the office, but yes, I'm wearing shorts. I never okay. wear pants. I hate pants. I always wear shorts. People around here think I'm crazy because I'm wearing shorts and it's like cold. Uh, it's not really cold. It's not like Germany cold. Um, it's Southern California cold. So it'll get down to 60s, which is, I don't know, in, in Celsius, 20, no, like 17, 18. Um, but yeah, I never wear pants. So th that's why I really like that title. And I especially like when you say the title. <laughs> I, I always wear pants because I, I, you know, I got kicked out so many nice restaurants in Miami not wearing pants. <laughs> really? Yeah. See, I, I, I don't go to those types of places. It's not my, it's not my thing. I would just leave. I'm a I taco just stand kind of guy. 
yeah, I'm kind of a health nut, so I'm very picky with, you know, what not. But uh, yeah, I... Really? But I love tacos, so, yeah. What do you mean by health nut? Are you vegan, vegetarian, no. organic? I used to be. I used to be. I like paleo. Uh, I eat keto most of the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm kind of very close to, uh, or, or, let's say original food. So I would like to eat. I would eat a steak and uh, fruits and vegetables, but as raw as possible. As not 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 raw in the sense of uncooked, but not processed. Yeah, and I mean, I wish I could get access to that all the time. I'm not as committed to the food. That's one of the things that I really struggle with is uh, sticking to that clean diet, but. I like so I do jujitsu. So when I am gonna get uh, when I'm getting ready for a tournament, and I kind of have to lean out a little bit, then I get really really clean with the diet. But it's for you know like five weeks at a time, six weeks at a time. So okay, so you compete. That's amazing. I you know I've been a soccer player my whole life. So I started doing jujitsu two or three years ago, and then with the pandemic and injuries and stuff like that. Uh, but I love competition and, and I'm, I don't really think I'm very good at jujitsu. Like it's a sport that doesn't come very naturally to me. Soccer. I was always one of the top players. Um, so it, it's very humbling to compete in something that's one that's so physical. And actually at my age, I'm 42. Um, it, I, I am less susceptible to injuries training in jujitsu than I am even just going and playing pickup soccer. Because um, mm. I've also had a lot of injuries. <laughs> I've torn both of my Achilles, uh, tore my adductor, did my um, meniscus. I tore my tricep. I'm coming off a tricep injury. What else? Sprained everything possible. I've had about eight or nine concussions. Oh, I play wow. hard. <laughs> yeah. That sounds really so hard. Those concussions you come from being a kid and getting into do, fights. And do stuff. you feel like doing jujitsu helps you with your business, like with your mentality or your mindset and things like oh, that? Oh, hundred percent. And and this is a, a very cliched statement, right? Like that jujitsu is a is a metaphor for life in many ways, um, especially for business. You know, like you don't necessarily my strength. So I I, I lift uh, and I've lifted pretty heavy for the past 13, 12, 13 years. And my strength has gotten, has created more injuries for me because instead of trying to use technique, mm. I try and muscle my way out of it and then I end up getting hurt. And I think that that, that in and of itself for me has been very, very helpful from a business perspective. Sometimes the, the smartest thing isn't necessarily to muscle your way through and fight through to an outcome mm -hmm. sometimes that'll actually set you back sometimes you got to just tap out and start over or sometimes you got to change your approach or try and use a different type of technique so there's tons of little lessons like that in in jiu-jitsu and, and probably all martial arts this is the first martial art that i've ever done so yeah I, i'm constantly learning about myself and learning lessons that i can apply to uh, my business from things that i experience on the mats I see. Can you give an example for um, m for for that muscle thing that where muscling it, it out is uh, yeah, sure. detrimental in business? <laughs> so in June of last year, I didn't train for a year because of COVID. 
So I started training at the, I, I now train at this place called, Ot, called Atos in San Diego. They've got like just champions everywhere. Like you walk into that place and you're like, I've seen that guy on YouTube. I follow that guy on Instagram. I've seen that woman do that. Da, da, da. So I, I start there and then I immediately was like, I want to do a competition. So within a month, I'd signed up for a competition and it's a week before the competition and I was training hard. So like when I'm getting ready for a jiu-jitsu tournament, I usually really cut back on the weightlifting and I go hard on cardio, like triple days, usually two, two sessions of cardio and then I'll train in the afternoons and I'll do that about five days a week. And so um, I was training with this guy and I was in a really bad position. Um, I don't know if you know anything about jujitsu, but I had him in my guard. A bit. I do. I, was, I, I did, had him in my I, guard. I did some was, MMA. So, okay, cool. So I had him in my guard, and I have very jacked up hips from thirty-seven years of soccer, mm-hmm. and I go to Pilates specifically for my hips. And so, uh, but he was like pushing out on my hip, <clears throat> and I was just trying to use all my strength to to keep him in my guard. And my hip, hip, my adductor tore. I immediately Shit. heard a pop. It was like, pop. And I was like, F-. It was just one of those moments. If you've ever had an injury, it's like a stab yeah. of lightning into a specific body part. And I was like, it's not supposed to feel like that. So I immediately called it a day. Um, went to my physical therapist and was like, what is this? And the competition was in a week. And I was like, okay, what is it? And they're like, I, I think it's a, it felt like a groin sprain or strain. And so I got a little bit of treatment, you know, maybe three, three sessions of treatment that week at the physical therapist, did the tournament, tore it even more at the tournament. And then I was oh. out for three months. For what? Yeah, should have stopped. I should have stopped. And yeah. if nothing else, just change the position. Just because he passes my guard doesn't mean that the fight is over. There's a lot of other things that I can do, right? Eventually, somebody's going to pass your guard. Yeah. It's just the way that it goes. Yeah, you can still try so to stand so up. Or... Yeah, exactly. It was so stupid. And it was all ego-driven and me trying to like prove something in a situation that didn't matter. And I ended up putting myself out for three months. And I didn't do well at the competition. And I was really, really frustrated. And so, like, when you think about it from a business perspective, how many things, or just think about it from a people perspective in your company, mm. how many times do we hire somebody and we give them chance after chance after chance after yeah. chance, and instead of just cutting our losses or resetting, re, re setting ourselves up in a different position, we just keep pushing through for no reason. And when it comes to hiring, a lot of it is because oh, I hired that person, so a part of my ego is tied up in their success. And if they don't succeed, I will feel like a failure because I'm the one who made that decision to hire them, even though everybody else told me not to hire them. Mm. Oh, yeah. And when That's that, a so very when that happens, good... it hurts us internally, and so we turn a blind eye to the facts, and we make these decisions based off of our feelings. It's the same thing that I did in that jiu-jitsu. It didn't, the fact was I could have just tapped. I could have just let him pass and try to, you know, move from a different or get into a different position. <clears throat> you know, like it didn't matter. It did not matter. But because I let my feelings and my emotions and my ego get in the way, 
I put myself back a lot. You know, I lost three months of training time. Not to mention, like, I ended up doing very poorly at that competition. And I got more hurt at the competition, so... Is that is that a good example? Yeah, it's an excellent example. It's um, it's it's very important to yeah let people go that you feel like in the very beginning are not a fit, because I don't know of anyone who told me that stuff worked out after a while. I don't know any example where this this happened when you had like a, like a very strange feeling, and I had mm -hmm. very yeah like you know there's very very weird stories um like <laughs> my my craziest hire was someone who who was fine in the interview but then like first thing she did was she called the health insurance and worked out a better deal like so that she got an upgrade without you know my permission <laughs> stuff like that and then after that she directly went to the doctor and Uh, uh, get her like got, got like a note that she was ill or something and I was like okay we have to let her go <laughs> that was that was a crazy move and then she kind of fought against it and it was of really course. like it was very weird and I was not able to detect that in the in interview it was just yeah. not, the interview was perfect was there anybody else in, on the team who who interviewed her specifically and they they said hey there's something not right here um in this case it was just me alone but this is like six years ago or maybe right. longer but now we do it we, it has to be unanimous now yep, we exactly we have at least three or four people interviewing the person And if we're not, if we don't agree unanimously, then we just won't do it. It's we have the exact same policy. Everybody's going to pick up on something different, and that's part of that human intuition part. Where like, well, th there's there's two reasons why we have them do a final interview with four people. One is everybody's going to get a different sense of that person. Somebody's mm. gut intuition might pick up on something that the other three don't. The other reason is that because they're going through four different people emotionally and physically, that's a very stressful environment. Mm -hmm. And so I like to think of it as peeling back the layers of the onion. And so when you put people under pressure, at least in my experience, when you pe put people under pressure, you get to see what they're really made of. And I've had interviews where this one gal, I have another story kind of similar. We didn't hire her, but this one gal was like, she came in, she was super nice, super friendly. We had her in a conference room. Now, that conference room didn't have air conditioning, and it happened to be a very, very warm day. Okay. And so by the time I interviewed her, she'd been there for about two hours, and she was just angry. And like, and I was like, oh, my God, like, what is wrong with this person? Like, she was just so combative with every question. And it's like not like we were trying to like – we had fans going and everything too. So I wasn't trying to create a, a like dangerous environment to conduct the interviews – It was it was warm. It wasn't like scalding hot. Um, but for whatever reason, by the time she got to me, that was just the end of the line. And you could see that she was not going to cooperate. Um, and so then we were like, yeah, this is not going to work out. Well, I was the one I was like, guys, like she was very, very angry with me. And I'm the owner. I'm like, did you guys notice anything of that? And then, you know, when I brought it up, they're like, you know what? Actually, yeah, there was something a little bit off. You know, it was almost like she was putting on a show. So that's specific incident. Um, you know, it's an example of how 
different people will have different perspectives and you can typically pick up on those red flags. Somebody in that group will pick up on that red flag. Yeah. Like one, one, that's one technique of mine, uh, especially with, if I, with in situations in which I cannot see through people or I feel like I, I just don't, I, I just cannot see their real face. I put them under pressure. So, mm -hmm. you know, I recently had an interview <laughs> and, uh, this, you know, this, uh, uh, person said something like, um, like something that I, I, I just don't like to hear about that a lot, like work-life work balance. And I was like, work-life balance, that sounds so lazy to me, you know. And then things got a little bit heated, but um, you know, the person was really fine and explained well yeah. um, under pressure, uh, like how, how she meant it or how she sees that. And I believed her that she's not lazy. And yeah, But I think it's very important to put people under pressure so you can see what they're made of and mm -hmm. you can see if they're overly aggressive, if they have like, uh, Eckhart Tolle would say it's a pain body, if they have like something, some hidden pain inside them that would come out and would influence their behavior. Um, because of course, it's our job in job interviews to put them under pressure to see their real face because, you know, mm -hmm. of course, everyone gets prepared and, and, you know, into, into job interview and tries to show the best side of them. them. Uh, and of course, we cannot just take that for granted and take that at face value. Uh, yep. So it really makes sense to try to get behind the person. And uh, I had one one funny guy. Like there is a funny question that we ask sometimes in interviews, which is like, if you would see someone stealing a cup, a coffee cup from the company, uh, would how would you react? And one one guy answered that yeah, he would like grab the person and punch him in the face or her. <laughs> I was like, and but he really meant it, and I was like, okay, this this guy has an anger issue or something. <laughs> That you really meant it. I could. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's helped the the interview process for me, the, or at least our company, the most is I don't do the interviews mm -hmm. anymore. A lot not of the at times, all? I think yeah, not at all. I don't get involved at all. I mean, if it's a senior mm -hmm. level person, then yes, I will get involved. But any of the normal staff, I don't do any of the interviewing anymore. And I think part of the problem is that I have too much. Uh, I'm too emotional when it comes to the staffing side of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not as objective as other team members can be. Um, and so like when I start, when I stopped doing the hiring and I had other, other team members do it, specifically my wife, uh, the, the quality of candidates got way better. I think one of okay. the, the, this is kind of like a, I think a, a mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs who haven't done a lot of hiring that they make is that they try and find people that are the, the, their belief of the mirror of themselves. You know, like mm -hmm. you hear people, if I could just replicate myself, mm -hmm. I would be able to grow the company like 10x. And that's actually a mistake. What you want to find are people that complement your weaknesses yeah. so that you can focus on doing the couple things that you do amazingly well. And specifically, if you're the owner, you should find people that will allow you to spend more time 
fine-tuning that vision and keeping everybody accountable and making sure that we're moving the company forward. Um, but a lot of people who are doing hiring, you know, who, ha who haven't done a lot of hiring, they're like trying to find people that feel like the, their twin. Mm -hmm. And that's a gigantic mistake because typically you're not looking at that person objectively. You've got, you're, you're, you're trying to prove to yourself that you found the right person as opposed to just saying, hey, let's put them through the process and see how they actually do. And trying to be as unbiased and objective as possible. Um, and also like identifying like, hey, these are the things that I need to be doing. I need to find somebody who can give me back more time and cover these specific uh, activities so then I can focus on what I need to be doing and what I do best. What are uh, some of the most valuable things for you for as an entrepreneur that, that you should be doing in the comp in a company, given the fact that you have you, that you can have a lot of staff uh, working for you? Like what are the, the most value bringing uh, activities in your opinion? Are you talking about me personally or any entrepreneur? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little especially especially you. Um, and then in, in and I think that also applies to like the general. Um, yeah, I, I think it happens in different phases. I don't think that there's one thing that everybody needs to be doing at, at the entire time. I think that as a leader, you're also developing like I'm definitely still developing as a leader. So, you know, like when I was at seven employees um, and, you know, our main focus was recruiting. So I was trying to learn all that I can about recruiting and how we actually mm -hmm. find people. Um, the biggest advancements that I've had in the company have actually started from me working on myself. And this is where mm -hmm. it's going to sound a little bit woo-woo, right? Because I had a horrible childhood, very, very abusive. Um, we could talk about two if you want to. Um, And so there's just a lot of them. And then my dad died when I was 27, three days before I turned 27. He had cancer, died in a month. And, you know, there's just a lot of things, emotions that I had not dealt with. Because as a man, in, in the United States at least, you're taught to just suck it up and deal with it, right? Don't be a right? And as an athlete, I was an athlete too, right? So, like, that is definitely the mantra. Like, suck it up. Don't cry. I don't care if you're hurt. You play through pain. You play through concussions. And, and so that was my kind of like thought, that was my belief system is that if you feel something, you just keep going. And that's important to mm -hmm. an extent, but there are also certain times when you just got to stop and you got to confront that you just went through. And so when I started working on myself and, you know, going to therapy more, trying to learn how to manage my emotions, trying to learn how to be a better partner and manage the relationships that I have, both friendships and relationship with my wife. When I started focusing on those things, then I started to become a better leader and the business started to turn around as well. I think a lot of entrepreneurs have trust issues for whatever reason that is. Mm -hmm. It could just be the fact that it's your business, it's your baby, and you think that anybody else or that you can do it better than everybody else and anybody else who touches it is going to screw it up. Right. That's a very, very common belief that people have. We're just shooting yourself in the foot. You're setting people up for failure subconsciously. 
Why do you have those trust issues? I've had them myself. So as, when I started to focus on that, that's what's, and when I continue to focus on that, that's what ends up having the biggest impact on the business. Now, I don't think that's, it's the right, it's going to be the same for everybody, but I, I see that being a key turning point for most entrepreneurs. So I don't know if that was the answer that you were looking for, but like focusing on yourself, your mental state, your emotions, um, how you manage stress, how you respond to stress, unbelievably important. And then that's very good. I think that's very good. I I kind of tend to do the same. Like when I have a, an issue in the business, I first look at, okay, what... Am I functional enough to um, be able to conquer that challenge? Am I complete enough? Am I knowledgeable enough? Do I have like the right habits and the right mindset? And most of the time I don't. And so I have to change that first in order to be able to mm -hmm. tackle the problem really. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And for me, it's basically like you know, things, I want better time management and I want to be more productive. So I need to watch a little bit closer what I'm doing. Am I not wasting time like with these usual things like smartphones and um, social media and stuff like that and checking emails too often, stuff like that. Um, be, yeah, and, and, and making sure that I'm really busy with the most important stuff That, that has the biggest leverage when I'm doing it versus unimportant stuff that still keeps me dizzy, stuff like that. But um, you, you mentioned things about your childhood. Uh, could you tell mm -hmm. me a little bit more what, what you exactly had to sure. overcome? Yeah, man. Um, I have no problem talking about this. It took me a very, very long time. I was in my 30s when I started to actually recognize that this was a big problem. Uh, so my mother, my dad's, you know, he's gone. He's been dead for 15 years now. Uh, my mother, probably schizophrenic, some sort of mental illness for sure. You know, this is the 80s, so we didn't really, mm -hmm. at least it, in my like my experience, it wasn't talked about. It wasn't as prevalently diagnosed. And so, um, you know, her and my dad had a lot of problems and she would deal with her sadness by beating the shit out of me so i was you know I was a really skinny little kid and it started even when i was a baby she's apparently she starved me because she didn't want to have a fat baby mm -hmm. um and so there you know there was little glimpses of her mental illness and then i had to you know just dealing with that as a young kid just getting beat senseless as a kid and emotional abuse you know verbal abuse as well um it's not something that anybody's supposed to go through you know um, the, the, the upside to that is I'm unbelievably resilient and I have a very, very high pain tolerance, mm -hmm. um, both physically and emotionally. Um, so, you know, I, I dealt with that as a kid. And then when I was a teenager, I was looking for, I think all teenagers are trying to find a place to fit in, you know, where it's a very transitionary period in your life. And so at the time, because I was experiencing all these challenges at home, I uh, gravitated to, to all these kids. We were like the bad kids. This is like the, the 90s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so like we would get into fights. We would like steal shit. We would do like all this bad stuff. And um, 
you know, we had our little group. We had our little group and we felt safe in that group. And what I learned later on is most likely all these other kids were probably getting abused at home as well. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, my best friend in middle school, he had an older sister. And so there, they were two families, they're cousins, and uh, they lived in one little apartment. And um, both of the parents, or all four of the parents, worked at a casino dealing cards at night. So these kids were completely unsupervised growing up. You know, we're mm-hmm. 13, 14 years old, 12, 13, 14. And <clears throat> so my friend Barry, he had an older sister. Oh, God, what the heck was her name? I can't think of her name. Um, and so somehow she got linked up with all these guys. And so then she would bring them over and they recruited Barry into their gang. And he was a blood when we were 14 years old and he was doing gang. He was doing drive-by shootings when we were 14 years old. And we thought that was amazing. We thought that was the coolest thing on earth. And uh, eventually all these kids got kicked out of school one day. I was like one of two that didn't get kicked out from my little group for smoking weed. We're 14, right? And I look at 14-year-old kids now and I'm like, oh my God, they are infants. But -hmm. I thought I was tough back then. And part of that is because I had to grow up a little bit faster than most people. And so, um, you know, they all got kicked out. Everybody, all those kids just kind of disappeared. And then uh, I had soccer as my one thing that, like, kept me out of trouble. And so I got really into sports when I was, got into high school eventually. And uh, all the kids disappeared. And then, um, like, Barry got murdered after high school, got shot and killed. This other kid that I sat next to in science class, I'll never forget him. His name was Jason. He was my friend's older brother, but he he was in a gang and like he was, uh, I think, two years older, but grade wise, he was the same grade as me. So we were in the science class. This dude would show up to class high on PCP like Mm -hmm. five days a week. It was insane. He was super funny. Really, really nice kid. And he's another one that was like, these kids are not dumb. They just don't have opportunities. They don't have a support system like at home. So they end up falling into a very, very dark path. uh, path. So this kid, and one of the reasons why I I remember this kid is because he loved the song Juicy by Notorious B.I.G. You know Mm -hmm. that song? Yeah. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine, Salt and Pepper Heavy D. You know, um, so he loved that song. He would play that song on his little Walkman every day. And he would always be like, this song's the jam. And then he ended up getting murdered, too. He got killed somehow. Yeah. Dead. 16. Probably, no, I think he was around 18. So, like, these experiences definitely shaped me as a kid. It definitely shapes me as how I perceive the world. Um, one thing that drives me nuts is when people say, oh, they're just a bad kid because I was that bad kid. Right. Mm-hmm. And those kids that I were with were also the bad kids. They're not bad kids. You know, a very small percentage of the population are inherently evil human beings. That's my belief. Mm. A lot of the other people are just doing things based on what they've seen growing up. And if they have, and those parents, are emulating things that they saw growing up or things that they experienced. And, um, you know, so that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to break that cycle. There's a lot of things that are going on in your head, your belief systems. There's a lot of things that are subconscious. 
And until you have somebody that says, hey, you don't have to think like that, then you're going to always just continue down that path. I remember when I was in my 30s, so this is where I was uh, getting back to when I recognized that uh, the abuse that I experienced as a kid was not normal. I thought everybody went through that when I was a kid. And then when I was in my 30s, I started going to therapy after my dad died because I was at a point where, like, I didn't know if I wanted to live anymore. It was so, I just didn't know how to deal with the grief. You know, like that was another situation where I couldn't just push through. Like everything I did, nothing was working. So I started going to therapy and then it, it we go deeper, of course, and we start talking about my childhood. And uh, one of the reasons why losing my dad was so hard was because he was the only one that I had. So we start talking about, you know, the abuse that I experienced as a kid. And uh, I remember the therapist telling me, you know, oh, it's going to get emotional. I've never said this on air. She's like, you didn't deserve that. That's what she said. She said, you didn't deserve that. You know, you didn't deserve that. And I was in my 30s, man. Like, how, how long did I go in my life thinking all that that I went through? The beatings. Like, I got beat with everything man a stick a whip you know you always get the wooden spoon you get the shoe everything fists slaps everything if there was something around i got hit with it how long did i go in my life thinking that i deserve that and then how many other kids out there feel like they deserve that and it took that one person to tell me hey man you didn't deserve that that completely what, changed my life. What What were you thinking then? That like, you know, I don't think what? it was conscious. I think it was subconscious. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why I can still to this day, I can take a lot of physical pain. I can like, I can just deal with it. And it's because back then, I think, okay, so like if we're thinking about it, I... It's, I'm very, very stubborn just by nature. I think most entrepreneurs are stubborn by nature. But yeah. I think that part of the reason why I don't give in to the pain, I'll just keep going. I don't know if you, have you ever seen this movie, Cool Hand Luke? No. It's a classic movie, Paul Newman, where he's a prisoner. And there's a scene where he, uh, the biggest guy in the yard there in the prison, right? So the biggest guy in the yard who runs the show for some reason just has it out for Luke because he's like this, you know, kind of arrogant, confident guy, um, but he's small. Paul Newman's not a big guy. And so they start fighting in the yard one day and, and Paul Newman uh, won't stop. He's getting the kicked out of him. And he just keeps getting up, just keeps getting up. And this guy just keeps wailing on him, like whack, mm. whack, whack, hit, hit to the face, hits the ground. Paul Newman gets back up, gets back up. And Paul Newman says, you're going to have to kill me if you want to beat me. And that's the mentality that I've always had. It's the mentality that I still have. Now I'm learning when it's time to fight a different battle so that I can win. But when it comes to actual like physical pain, you're going to have to kill me. I'm never going to stop. So I think that that's part of the positive that I've gotten out of that because most people would quit. You know, we were talking about entrepreneurship and how crazy you have to be to kind of push through. Um, and, and so that mentality has is, is helped me well.
moving forward. It's it set me back some way in some ways too, but I think overall it's it's helped me out a lot. And if you could choose like if you like had a button way in which you could choose like a nicer childhood, would you push that button? I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't wish anything I wouldn't wish it on anybody else, but for me I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't be who I am had I not gone through that. So you think you're more uh, productive because of it, or you can deal with business situations better as well? I think just re resilient. I'm just more resilient, I think, than uh, a lot of folks. I think that's what's helped me. I don't necessarily, I mean, I think I'm, mm -hmm. I have a above average intelligence, uh, but I, I think the, the true thing that's helped me in my entrepreneurial journey, which hopefully still extends a very long time, is my ability to just keep going. You know, my resilience and when things get really, really hard. You know, like I've been broke twice. I've had my car repossessed. I've been very, very close to being on the street myself. You know, obviously losing my dad was really hard. I've failed a lot. You know, I mean, my very first business was a soccer magazine that I started right after my dad died and I lost everything. I lost almost 200,000 bucks. And it's not like I had a lot of money to begin with. But I was able to find a way, you know, I didn't quit. Um, so I think that those hard times, you know, made me who I am. Was it horrible? Am I still like dealing with the aftermath of a lot of that stuff? Of course. But, um, you know, I don't, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant, but I like who I am. I like what we've been able to accomplish as a company and I think that if I were to die today, I think that I would leave behind a legacy that would impact a lot of people in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And do you think that peop people with these types of diff difficult childhoods are more successful than other people? No. Overwhelmingly, no. Statistically speaking, they are, they are not. It's very, very unlikely that. Like a kid who, came, who went through what I went through, I should be dead. You know, the, the, the dead are in jail. Look at all my other friends. They're, they're gone. They just disappeared. What was the mm. difference? I had one person. Some people have nobody. A lot of these folks that grow up in very, very challenging environments, they have no positive influences. Not one. Not one person who went to college, not one person who started a successful business, nobody. I had one person. To me, that's the only reason. And it was flat out luck. It was just luck. I could have been born in a, you know, a war-torn village in Africa, you know. Probably would be dead. So I, I'm very conscious of that. I feel an obligation to help other people because of that. And what made the difference inside you to take a different route to not uh, do, you know, like become a member in gangs and stuff like that, but to I wanted to. I really wanted to be in a gang when I was a kid. I really okay. did. Um, I I had soccer. That's that's honestly the only thing. Financially, we were mm. not poor, so I had that going for me. That had nothing to do with me whatsoever. My parents could afford to have me play club soccer. And I was doing that, you know, five days a week. 
That's the only thing. I wasn't any smarter than any of these kids. I wasn't any better than them in any other way. It's just luck, man. That's my perspective on it. I was very lucky that I was born into a family that could afford to do these things, and I had one family member to be my support system. And I was awesome. very lucky to have him for 26 years, 362 days. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, for sure, man. I know this is a little bit different, I'm sure, than what a lot of people talk about, but I think it's important, at least for yeah. me, because I, I just hope that there's one person out there who kind of had, you know, the deck was stacked a little bit against them. And uh, I like telling this story because, um, you know, I want to let them know that even though that that you went through hurts, you can still find a way out of it. Yeah, and turn it into a positive thing, into yeah. a pro productive thing. Num number one thing, get your ass into therapy, especially if you're a man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> get your ass into therapy. You got to talk it out. We were not given the tools to manage our emotions. And, you know, we're coming through. I think a lot of the, re the challenges that we're having in the United States are psychological. They're emotional. You know, you see people that join these extremist groups whether that be on the left or the right which mm -hmm. i think they're all the freaking same anyways um it's because they're looking for meaning and they're looking for something that they didn't get when they were younger or they feel like they were promised something when they were younger and they're like instead of looking internally they're looking for somebody to blame and so they join these extremist groups because they provide a scapegoat and they give you a sense of purpose and you can avoid that if you just go to therapy thank you that's a very good tip like as a last tip what would you um what is your best tip for a starting entrepreneur who wants to start a business and uh, who wants to find like the right niche oh, and man thing to um do? there's so many you know like you're gonna fail a million times obviously like i'll just talk mm -hmm. about with dude right so like um yeah. with dude i knew my customer really really well and i had a good story right I had an agency. I started a team in Mexico. My agency went from 50 to 200 and something clients on retainer, right? Mm -hmm. So I knew the market and that they needed this particular service, but I also tested it out. You know, there's, there's, there's a point where you need to burn the ships, right? And go all in. But I think if it's a startup, I think you need to be a little bit pragmatic about testing whether the market actually wants what you offer. Test it out, get paying customers. We got dude to, you know, a six figure run rate in the first five or six months. Those dollars were proof that this could work, right? So, and then we burned all the ships. We went to a mm -hmm. conference, we spent a bunch of money that ended up turning into like $300,000 worth of business, right? And we grew that company very quickly. Um, so I think just really test the market and make sure that they actually will buy your amazing idea because your idea doesn't mean, sh mean sh until somebody will actually give you money for it. Absolutely. So that's kind of like my pragmatic tip to startups. Sell it. Make sure that people will buy it. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. If someone wants to learn more about you or get in touch with you or your company, how can they do that the best? Yeah, we put out quite a bit of content. I have a podcast as well. So you can go to mm -hmm. dudeagency.io. Um, I think it's on the Who We Are page. We have our podcast. Um, and then follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Dudeagency.io, I think, is the Instagram. And 
I think it's the same on Facebook too. Um, and then if you have a question for me, I always put this out there, especially if you're a dude uh, and you want therapy advice, just email me, chris at dudeagency.io. Chris, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to the next time and yeah, see you soon. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button and never miss an episode of Svencast again.